Friends, good morning and welcome to our service of worship. I'm Dave Bianchin. I'm on the pastoral staff here at the church, and we welcome you on this fourth Sunday of Advent as we gather to worship together. We want to welcome you whether you're here in the sanctuary or on Facebook or live stream. We're happy to connect with you today. We want to extend a special welcome to those of you who are new to Christ's church. Whether you're online or in person, we want to let you know we look forward to getting to know you. If you're at home, uh, we're getting ready to light our Advent wreath here pretty quick, so if you'll get your candles and your matches together, we would love to to share that time with you. If you'd like to connect more with Christ Church and learn more about the church, uh, reach out to us by texting the number on the screen, visiting the webpage, or saying hello in the chat room if you're worshiping at home. Now, will you please join with me uh, in our call to worship? Each Sunday of Advent, we light a candle on the wreath, The three candles we have lit symbolize God's hope, peace, and joy. On this fourth Sunday of Advent, as we think about the coming of Christ, we light the candle of love. As written in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, A A new new command command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus Christ is the brightest sign of God's love. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Joy to the world. The Savior comes. Let us worship God.
Please be seated. Friends, would you join me together in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we awaken to this new day with joy and hope, the joy and hope that only come from knowing you are near. Lord, we are grateful not only that you're near, but that through Jesus Christ we can be in a personal relationship with you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Heavenly Father, as we continue in this Advent season, this season of watching and waiting for your coming, open our eyes and ears to the sights and sounds that move your heart. Fill us with the desire to serve you and others, even as you have served us. Fill us with compassion, hospitality, and love. And yet, Lord, we know that too often we fall short, so we ask you, Lord, to forgive us. Forgive us for merging so fully into our culture of materialism that we miss the moments of fellowship you have placed before us. Purge our distraction and self-absorption and open our eyes to those around us. Open our hearts to embrace the stranger in our midst and lead us to befriend the lonely, to feed the hungry, and to comfort those who are sick or mourning. Just as you call us your friends, May we show such loving friendship to those in our world. And hear us now, Lord, as we each engage in a moment of silent confession as we confess our sins to you. Thank you, Lord, for leading us, teaching us, and for forgiving us. We offer this prayer in Christ's holy name. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life is gone and the new has come. Know that you are forgiven and be at peace. Amen.
Thank you so much for that. Friends, would you please join with me again in a moment of prayer? Let's pray together. The prophet Jeremiah wrote, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise. I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice in righteousness. Eternal God, through long generations, you prepared a way for the coming of your Son. And by your Spirit, you still bring light to illumine our paths. Renew us in faith and hope that we may welcome Christ to rule our thoughts and claim our love as King of kings and Lord of lords. And may we give you glory always. This morning, Lord, we intercede for our broken world. In days filled with anger, fear, frustration, and self-interest, lead us to be your ambassadors of grace, mercy, and reconciliation. May our lives and our words serve to introduce people to your wonderful love. As we point to the baby in the manger, may we also see the fullness of his life and his work on the cross and Jesus reigning in majesty even right now. We ask you, Lord, to work powerfully in, in these days that we live. Bring healing to our country. Provide for those who are struggling to provide for themselves and their families. Bring hope to those who experience in these days of isolation an eroding hope and eroding emotional strength in many who experience great anxiety. Enter into our hearts and the hearts of all, Lord, in these days. So we ask, Lord, who are we that you should come to us? Yet you have visited your people and redeemed us in your Son. And so as we prepare to celebrate his birth, make our hearts leap for joy at the sound of your word and move us by your spirit to bless your wonderful works. We ask this through him whose coming is certain, whose day draws near, your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us now to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, friends, once again, we're glad you're here with us this morning. We're just a few days away from Christmas and we're looking forward to celebrating with you. This year, we're going to be hosting all of our Christmas Eve services online. Uh, over the years, thousands of people have come to be here on Christmas Eve, and, but because of your health and the health of others and the safety of others being so important, we made the decision this year to host the services online. So we're going to put forward our best creative energies to present the best possible services to you. We invite you to invite your friends and family and neighbors to connect with us on the celebration of Christ's birth. On Christmas Eve, if you prefer the classic style of worship, we'll be, you'll have the choice of worship services at 5, 7, 9, and 11. Contemporary services will be during the even hours, and the services will be on demand also for, if none of those times work for you. We really want to lean into this time. It's so different this year, and so we're providing a couple other things that which will be helpful, we hope, to you. If you haven't yet heard of the Christmas shorts, I'd encourage you to go ahead and check them out. Uh, Christmas shorts are a 10 to 15 minute devotional, including a brief message in worship, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday before Christmas Eve. And the length is great for families, but it's also good for anyone, and it gives us all an opportunity to, to really move toward Christmas in a very deliberate and meaningful way. Now, things are so, no, so new this year, and, and the rhythm of things is so different. Uh, we want to help you to get to all of these things, so we have some reminders available to you. For both the Christmas Eve services and the Christmas shorts, um, you can go to christchurch.us slash reminder or you can text reminder to the number on your screen and you'll have the choice to either have an email or a text reminder. And so when the devotional there is there and 30 minutes before the Christmas Eve services, we'll be, we'll be letting you know. And we hope that'll be helpful to you as we try to, to navigate this, this different year. So we look forward to being with you um, online and for worshiping together uh, our living God on Christmas Eve and the days before.
As we move toward our presentation of our tithes and offerings, we want to focus this morning on the Friendship Bible class. Some of you may be familiar with it. It's a ministry for teens and adults with disabilities. And this is a fantastic ministry of our church. It's been going for some 28 years. Uh, One of the highlights of my time here in the church was the 25th anniversary lunch that we all shared together. Uh, It's just a tremendous, meaningful ministry, unique. Uh, Few churches are able to do this. The class normally meets on Sunday mornings to open God's Word and to be in fellowship uh, with one another. And despite COVID's pushing that away, our, our leaders of Friendship Bible have sought other ways to help people connect. And just a couple weeks ago, uh, the class went out Christmas caroling. So they gathered with their families and went to a nearby neighborhood, spreading the light and the joy of the Christmas season. And you'll see some pictures on your screen of that. And this class is such a wonderful example of how the life-giving and life-changing love of Jesus pours out in us into the lives of others. And so when you give in your tithes and offerings to Christ Church, you're supporting ministries like the Friendship Bible Class. Ministries that bring light and love and meaning and fellowship into the lives of people. So in these next few moments, as you listen to the next song, I invite you to ask how God might be leading you to shine his light and to give during this season. One way he might be inviting you to give is through Christ Church, and you'll find uh, opportunities on your screen to go ahead and to do so. You can give digitally in a number of ways, or you can mail your offerings or drop them off here at the church. And so we continue in this season of joy, knowing that God is using us in powerful ways to reach out to people in his name. And God bless you as we receive God's tithe and our offerings.
Well, again, it is a joy to be with you and to be sharing this Christmas season, whether you're joining us today from home or are part of our Butterfield campus or right here uh, in Oak Brook today. We are just excited to be sharing the meaning of Christmas together. And uh, I hope and pray that already today through the worship songs and the prayers and even the quiet that we've enjoyed together, that God has brought something more of that peace into your heart Uh, that we all long for, especially uh, during this season and uh, this year perhaps more than ever before. I want to read today from God's Word as it's found in the Gospel according to Matthew, a familiar text, and then reflect with you upon the meaning of this story as we once again return to the theme of how God's light leads us through life. And I want to invite you to listen as God's word uh, comes to us from chapter 2 at verse 1 of Matthew's gospel. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Another text, the New Revised Standard Version says, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. Why, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, but this is what the prophet has written. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, and on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt, for stay there until I tell you... Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. And now, Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may, Lord God, your Holy Spirit lead us, lead us by your light closer to your way, closer to your heart, for we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. There was great delight in the Jones household when their little child, Henry, was given the part of the angel Gabriel in the church's Christmas pageant. And for many weeks, 
uh, the mother of the household worked very carefully with her son Henry on the single line that he was required to say in the pageant. At long last, the day of the pageant came. And as the boy nervously drifted out onto the stage at his appointed moment, Henry's mom worried that he might freeze up. He might just stand there saying nothing. And so she began to anxiously whisper to herself over and over again the line that they had practiced for so many days so hard, it is I, be not afraid. And then right on cue, Henry rose up and in full voice cried out, it's me and I'm scared. I love that little story not just for what it uh, displays of the vulnerability of kids, I could imagine myself being that Henry, but also for what it says to us about one of the powerful emotions that can rise up in someone who understands what Christmas truly means. I know we often reduce the Yuletide season to visions of sugar plums, and happy images of Santa's arrival. But for those, at least for some of the people to whom Christmas first came, uh, it was not so much a fulfilled dream as it was something of a nightmare. It's right here in the scriptures that we've just read together. The New Revised Standard Version reads, when King Herod heard the wise men's report about the birth of Jesus, he was frightened. He was terrified. Now, what could possibly be so terrifying? What is it about the birth of a mere child that could be so upsetting? Why would a man like Herod, a powerful man, be filled with fear in the face of Christmas? And more personally, why might you and why might I? Well, to get at a partial answer to that question, it's helpful to refresh our memory about this man, Herod. In a day that was arguably every bit as politically tumultuous as our day, Herod had managed to hold on to the throne of Judea for some 40 years. Through a skillful combination of public works projects and strategic assassinations and ruthless military suppression, Herod kept the revolutionary tendencies of the Jewish people under check. This attribute, along with his very politically savvy habit of naming his building projects after whoever was in power in the Roman capital or was on their way up towards that powerful seat, this savviness made Herod a favorite to a succession of Roman emperors who kept him installed in his position. In fact, in recognition of his meritorious service to Rome, the Roman Senate actually awarded Herod an official title as King of the Jews. And Herod loved that recognition. You could imagine then how it would have felt to him when he received the words of the wise men who asked, and I quote again, where is the child who's been born? What? king of the Jews. Hold on there, that position's taken, Herod would have naturally felt. If the wise men were right about who this child was, then the birth of this baby in Bethlehem utterly threatened Herod's position and his power. It meant there was going to be coming a day when he would no longer be calling all the shots. There was coming a day when the resources of his kingdom would no longer be his to mainly spend on himself, when he would no longer have it in his power to say who lived or died, when he would have to give up the place on the throne that he had craftily occupied for 40 years. That's what it meant if the wise men were correct. No wonder Herod was afraid. Are you ever afraid when you ponder the person of Jesus, the role of Jesus? On some level, I will confess that I am when I really think about the implications of Christmas. Truthfully, 
I'm okay if Jesus has mainly come to advise my administration. (laughs) I'm okay with a Jesus who comes to give me counsel now and then. I'm always open to some suggestions. It's nice to have somebody that I can call when I'm in a a pinch point or a, a difficult time needing more help. I can certainly spare an hour a week or so to have Jesus as my consultant. But that's not what Christmas means at all. The birth of Jesus means that someone has arrived who belongs on the throne that I have enjoyed sitting in. Christmas means that the rightful king has come and wants my place in the big chair. He wants to direct the use of my resources. He wants to drive the conduct of my relationships, the way I treat and talk to other people. He regards every single thought in my life and every sphere of my life as either a loyal or as a yet-to-be-recovered part of his dominion. That's what it means to worship the one who was born the king. I don't know if that registers with you. Do you see that Christmas means that our power and our position, as most of us, or at least some of us, tend to conceive of them, are threatened? Herod understood that. And more as well. Herod understood that the birth of this baby in Bethlehem also meant that his pursuit of prestige was being challenged. The wise men made that very clear to him. I mean, just picture the scene. These guys come uh, traveling in from the east. They have been lords. They're significant scholars and, uh, and, and uh, dignitaries from another respected nation. They come shuffling into the throne room of Herod, the king. And by the way, the historians tell us that, that, he, uh, that he preferred the title actually above king of the Jews as Herod the Great. He loved to be called Herod the Great. These guys come traipsing in, but instead of showering him with, oh, your majesty, oh, your royal impressiveness, as other visitors I'm sure did, as a matter of course, instead, they can't seem to do anything but talk about the child, about Jesus. We observed his star at its rising, and we have come, they say, to pay him homage. Who's used to getting the homage, the honor, the praise, the glory, but they've come to pay the homage to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I will confess that I sort of enjoy getting the homage (laughs) in my life. I won't say I go around thinking about this all the time, but I just, I know how much it means to me to be affirmed for who I am. I'm a little bit like the child who asked her dad to play darts with her one day. Daddy, she said, I'll stand here and throw the darts and you stand there and say, wonderful. I want to hear that word, wonderful. I've lived much of my life loving the accolades and the affirmations spoken by others toward me. I sometimes feel that they maybe haven't said quite enough when they say nice things, uh, I'm ashamed to admit. And, and, and to be in that place and to not be living instead mainly for the, the worship and the glory of the individual who is truly wonderful is one of the still yet to be repaired parts of my life. I know that if I'm gonna get with the true spirit of Christmas then I've got to be far more concerned about Jesus' star on the rise than about getting my star on the door. I've got to be less focused on making an excellent impression on other people for the sake of my good name and be more concerned about 
doing things in a way that elevates his good name. I have to be more open to criticism, even if it's hard to take, if it makes me a better servant. And that requires that I die to self, that I die to my ego more than I already have and keep on doing it. And when I think about that deeply, it scares me. It troubles me. There's another thing about Christmas that also creates that emotion for me, and I bet it had that effect on Herod too. The coming of Jesus into the world at Christmas threatens our power and position. It challenges our pursuit of prestige. But what may be hardest to take is that our perceptions about the presence or the absence of God are also shattered by Christmas. Think about this with me. Really think about this. Back in the first century AD, the Jewish people, especially the more educated ones, pretty much figured that they had God's MO figured out. They believed that God was mostly active in ancient times. By the time of the first century, it had been a very long time since God had sent a prophet, before, since he had done anything that was publicly noteworthy in their opinion. And so they thought of God as mainly uh, part of the past of Israel. They felt that his primary interest was uh, in whether people went to religious rituals, whether they attended the feasts and the gatherings and, and did the, you know, the rites of purity. Uh, they thought he was a very high and mighty being, which was a, uh, a nice way of saying they thought he was pretty much out there someplace and not particularly involved in the day-to-day -day of their lives. A lot of people, I think, still view God that way. They still see God as mainly having been active sometime in the past, mainly concerned with our religious rituals as someone that's a distant deity not particularly involved in life. This is why what happened in that manger could maybe create some fear for people who really understood it. Because now, as author Frederick Buechner puts it, those who believe in God can never in a way be sure of him again. Once they've seen him in a stable, they can never be sure where he will appear next or to what lengths he will go, to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he might descend in his wild pursuit of humanity. For if holiness, writes Buechner, if holiness and the power and the majesty of God were present in this birth of a present child, then there is no place, there is no time so lowly or earthbound, but that holiness can be present there too. And this means there's no place we can hide from God. There is no place where we are safe from his power to break into and recreate the human heart. Christmas, I'm convinced if we really understand it, will tap into, ought to tap into, some of our deepest fears. Our power and position are genuinely threatened. Our pursuit of prestige is truly challenged. Our perceptions about the presence of God, the way he works, or the absence of God are shattered. And it's understandable why somebody who got that, who really appreciated that fact, would prefer to keep Christmas in a box, would prefer to keep Christmas contained like the boxes we keep our ornaments in and bring out and look at for a little while, but don't handle for too long and then pack up and push away again. That's how it can be with Christmas sometimes. And it's in a sense what Herod was trying to do when he ordered the genocide that he did. He was trying to contain the danger of Christmas. But you know, the Bible teaches 
that fear is not bad. At least it's not always bad. We read the writer of Proverbs saying that the fear of the Lord is actually the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One, the awesome one, the one that does inspire a trembling sense of of terror in the presence of his holiness, the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, the writer of Proverbs says. Now that phrase, the fear of the Lord, carries two important senses to it. One is a sense of appropriate terror before God who is so uh, holy and powerful, who belongs on the throne in our place, who's so worthy of our, of our total homage or tribute, uh, who so mysteriously does show up and acts in ways that we cannot control and we cannot summon or channel. But there is another connotation to this phrase, the fear of the Lord, as biblical people understand it. It is also a sense of wondrous awe before the reality of having a God that great. A God like that. How is that worth thinking about for you and for me? Well, first of all, since Jesus is really the king, the good news is we don't have to carry the weight of the throne. We don't even have to pretend that that's our job, that that's our role in this world. I think of the statue that stands outside of the old RCA building at Rockefeller Center in New York. Maybe you've seen it yourself. It's a a statue of Atlas holding up the world. And you can just see him with this gigantic globe on his back. And and the tautness of of every sinew, uh, every muscle in his body and the bend of his legs and the hunch of his back as he tries to hold up this world reminds me of the way that sometimes I think we feel. You know, we wake up in the morning, we sigh, oh no, another day. All that has to be done, all that I'm carrying, all that I've got to fix, I've got to get right. I've got to do in a way that others approve of. It is tough to be king or queen and to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. But interestingly enough, across the street from that statue, Inside of St. Patrick's Cathedral, there's another statue. And this one is of a child. And and the child has a look of delight on his face. He has a, a stance of ease and grace about him. None of the stress, none of the struggle that you see in the Atlas uh, statue. And upon his outstretched hand, balanced confidently as if it was the most natural and joyful thing possible, is the globe of the world. And though he is but a child, the globe is smaller. It's smaller than him. For the child is Jesus. And he can handle the weight. He can handle that weight. What's the message for us? Give him the throne. Give him that burden. We will be delighted with how he handles the job of making our lives what they can be. Secondly, since Jesus is the one person who's truly worthy of homage, the only one really actually worthy of worship, then the good news is we can relinquish our exhausting pursuit of trying to win prestige, to be seen as perfect in the eyes of other people. Wise men always know that the homage belongs to him anyway. And yet the awesome truth is that Jesus' very coming into this world is God's way of saying, like that father says to the little girl in the stories I told earlier, you're wonderful in my eyes. <laughs> I delight in you. I came from eternity. 
for you, out of love for you, in the eyes of the only person, the only being whose opinion will ever really count in the end, you have already, hear this please, you have already been esteemed pricelessly. You have been deemed worthy of laying down gifts for, a world for, his very life's blood for upon the cross. He regards you in this wonderful way already. So forget about your star on the door. Forget about the number of stars people are rating you with. Forget about that. And fix your eyes upon the glory of the one who is the light of the world and whose radiance embraces us, each one of us. Finally, think about this truth. The birth of Jesus shows us that God is more present and more unpredictable than we may think. And what that means is the very good news is that there is no dark stable in our life that the light of the world cannot enter into. He can meet you in the midst of a financial crisis, and some of you are in that place right now. He can be born in you in the midst of arrogant success and, uh, uh, and awaken you, and he's trying to do that for some of us in that way right now. He can enter into and change that relationship that seems to be dying, or that one that's gone dead. He can come alongside of you in your illness, in your frailty. He can redeem and give purpose to this next season of your life. He can renew your strength if you're feeling weary. He can give us the courage to persevere till the COVID winter gives way to the warmth of a new day. The light of Christ can lead us from fear to faith. And he wants to. He's come for this very reason, to lead us from fear to faith in him. Only one thing is required. Only one thing is required to receive that benefit even more fully than you may already have received it. And it is one thing that Walter knew. Nine-year-old Walter also had a part in a Christmas pageant one year. Walter was one of those very awkward kids. He was not too popular or sought out by others at school. And when Walt's part came up, his mom also nervously prayed that he would remember his one line. Well, at long last, the time came, and Mary and Joseph and uh, the baby uh, about to be born, baby Jesus, were there at the door of the motel in Bethlehem, and, and they knocked on the door, and the door opened, and there stood Walter, who'd gotten the part of the innkeeper. His mom held her breath, but she had nothing to worry about. Walt's voice rang out strong, there's no room at the inn he said. And right on cue, Mary and Joseph hung their heads and they turned around and they walked away. And the mothers sighed in relief. But what was not in the script, except in God's script, was what happened next. A look of fearful concern spread over the brow of young Walt. The kind of look that was something between terror at what he had just done and awe at the chance he now had to do one thing more. And suddenly, Walter cried out, wait, come back, you can have my room. And I believe the angels sang. And I believe that grace broke in. And I believe that Christmas came to that pageant, the real Christmas, all over again. As it can happen for you 
And it can happen for me if we too will say, come in, Lord. Come in more than you've ever entered me before. Come in deeper. Come in. Come in. You can have my room. You can have my heart. You can have my throne. And in spite of my fears, or maybe because of them, there's room in my heart for I choose to put my faith in you. As we continue the journey towards Christmas, may Jesus hear those words from you and me. Please pray with me. Lord God, we just pray that you might enable us to live more wisely, more creatively than Herod did. Stop us from trying to box up or to banish the fearsome implications of your arrival in our kingdom. Instead, turn our fear into a joy-filled awe that what it can mean for us when we give you the throne, when we focus our lives on rendering homage to you, when we look for your presence in the dark places of our life. O oh, you who are the light of the world, shine upon us as we put our faith afresh in you. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you once again for being a part of the family that is Christ Church today. Wherever you are, we are connected by the power of this God that came at Christmas. And I hope and pray that today you have been encouraged and reminded of the wonderful way that he looks at you and loves you and longs to use you in this world for his glorious purposes. We're going to dismiss the congregations that are located in our physical campus today as our ushers come around section by section. We thank you so much for uh, helping us with that, observing social distance as you head out and keeping your masks on until we're outside of the building. I want to remind you that we will be worshiping in person once again on the Sunday after Christmas, and you will be welcome to join us uh, in the worship service uh, physically or if you choose once again to be part of our online 
uh, church. We're thrilled about that also. And now, beloved, as you enter into these final days before Christmas, seek out the way of the Lord in all of your goings, humbly lifting up those who may have fallen down. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship of God's Holy Spirit be with you this day and throughout the days to come and until the coming day when we will stand with Jesus face to face and forevermore. Amen.